0: Phone. Will you take it out? And I want you to silence it, okay, because so I don't want to hear any ringtones going off. But um, I have an assignment for you during your uh, time listening to this sermon today. I want you to play a role in the, the message that is proclaimed. Um, there are a lot of people that would say there's a war on Christmas going on, and they're fired up, and they're, they're angry about coffee cups, and they're angry about greetings. And they're just, they're ticked off that there's a war on Christmas. And I'm going to get to all of that in just a moment, but um, if you're like a a hashtag person, I didn't even know what that was a couple years ago, but if you're a hashtag person, the hashtag we're using this morning is Christmas by the book. Christmas by the book. So if it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of the other stuff that that I don't even know about, I want you to help me proclaim the, the truth of this message today right now where you're at i want you to just think about this question to yourself is there a war on christmas i'm not going to make you talk to anybody today but i just want you to think about is there a war on christmas think about that for just a moment and if you think there is a war on christmas raise your hands if you think there is not a war on christmas raise your hand nobody nobody if you don't care if there's a war on Christmas, raise your hand. Okay? Peyton, raise your hand. Good job. Okay. See, here's the point. I'm here today to let you know that there absolutely is a war on Christmas. You better believe there is a war on Christmas. And when we think war on Christmas, we think coffee cups. We think the fact, who does Starbucks think they are? Nowhere on there do I see Santa Claus. Nowhere on there do I see Rudolph or Frosty or lights or trees. It's just a plain red cup. I mean, couldn't they do a blue cup, especially after the week the Cubs had? I mean, wouldn't a blue cup look a lot better? Oh, no. No, just a plain red coffee cup. How many of you have been to a store and the the clerk on the way out had the audacity to say happy holidays instead of merry Christmas I had a clerk this week and and just a real sweet kind of cute voice said happy holidays and just real obnoxiously I looked right back at her and I said merry Christmas to you (laughs) I'm getting my point across we get fired up about greetings it's not a holiday tree it's a Christmas tree am I right it's a Christmas tree You can go to websites like defendchristmas.com. You can buy books. I got this book for like $3, which means it's probably not a bestseller. But that's nonetheless, The War on Christmas by John Gibson. And you can find out how in places like Baldwin City, Kansas, and Plano, Texas, and Eugene, Oregon, and even Indianapolis, Indiana, people are fighting Christmas. There's a war on Christmas. Now, i got to be honest with you. I set you up just a little bit, because I do think there's a war on Christmas, I really do, but it really has nothing to do with anything that I just talked about. It really doesn't have anything to do with coffee cups, it really doesn't have anything to do with Christmas trees, it really doesn't have anything to do if someone says happy holidays, or Merry Christmas, or just have a good day. The real war on Christmas, the actual war on Christmas, is our problem if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. We've brought it on ourselves because the actual war on Christmas is an annual event where followers of Jesus spend more time focusing on the cultural than on the biblical. We let the cultural parts of Christmas outweigh the biblical aspects of Christmas. What do I mean? Well, here's what I mean. Consumerism equals Christmas in the eyes of so many people. When they think about Christmas, they think about gifts that they have to buy. They think about gifts that they want to receive. And in their mind, they start playing it out. And Christmas is consumerism. For others, Santa Claus or Rudolph or Frosty or any of the other things that we associate with Christmas from our childhood or even from modern day culture, that's Christmas in our eyes. For some, it's the lights, it's the trees, it's the gatherings. When we see trees, when we see lights, when we have a party, we think that that's Christmas. Now, now understand, I'm buying presents this year. I hope that I'm receiving a couple of presents this year. Um, I, I love Christmas trees. I love lights. I love walking through my little village of Chestnut, either early in the morning or late at night, and just seeing the awesome lights. I think that's awesome. When I was a kid, I loved Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I loved Frosty the snowman. I cried every time Frosty melted away. If you haven't seen it, he melts. It's kind of sad, but it's another story for another time. But but here's what I want you to understand. None of that really is what Christmas is all about. And when Christians miss that, when followers of Jesus Christ miss that, when we worry about coffee cups, when we worry about cashier greetings, we are waging our own war on Christmas. So what I want to do today is I'm going to give you some things that I'm going to really challenge you to put on Facebook, to put on Instagram, to put on Twitter, or whatever social media uh, site that, that you choose. But more than that, I want you to embrace what the Bible says Christmas is truly all about. And so today's message, Christmas by the book, winning the war on Christmas with three simple biblical Reminders and reminder number one is this: Remember that Christmas is God's answer to centuries-long plea, pleas from mankind. For centuries, people wanted a savior. People needed hope, and Christmas is God's answer. Um, one of the hymns that we sing talks about pining for hope. Christmas is God's answer. To that pining, to that yearning, to that longing, to that pleading for help. If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, a guy by the name of Abraham was given an unconditional covenant promise from God. He said, guess what, Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation, I'm going to give you a land, and you will be a blessing to all people. And what's kind of funny about that is Abraham was 75 years old at the time, and he didn't have any kids. And so how am I going to be a blessing? How is my line going to continue on? And through the rest of the Old Testament, the other 38 books of the Old Testament, we see this blessing moving toward reality. Now, you read through the Old Testament, and God's people enjoyed some some highlights once in a while. I mean, the reign of David, it was awesome. Solomon's reign started off really well. Conquest of the promised land, yeah. Yeah. You know, the sun's standing still, and walls are falling down, and great things are happening. But more times than not, when you read through the Old Testament, it is depressing for God's people. And a lot of it is their fault, but they find themselves being led off into exile. They find themselves being used and abused by foreign armies and foreign people. And many times in Scripture, you hear this yearning you hear this, this pleading for hope, this pleading for a Savior, this pleading for a Messiah. We have these blue books in your pew. They're called hymnals. And if you want to, grab a hymnal. And you know they didn't laugh at that first service either. I, I think that's really funny because we don't use the hymnals anymore. But no, nobody thinks that's funny, so I won't use that again. But turn to 245. Hymn 245. Oh Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is one of the, the Christmas hymns we rarely sing. But in it it talks about that yearning, it talks about that desire for hope. And I'm just going to read verse one. It says, "O come, O come Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel." Right there, in a hymn that's sung at Christmas time, we hear about this yearning, this desiring, this wanting of hope. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet might have been the most miserable servant of God in the Old Testament. He preached his whole life, never converted anyone. He preached during the time that God's people lost their land and were carried off into exile by the Babylonians. But even in the midst of discouragement, Even in the midst of despair, Jeremiah has some promising words. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch. This is long after David's reign. This is long after Israel is a great nation to be in awe of. But he says, the days come and when I'm raising up from David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and will do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Do you know anybody on December 13 that's living their life without much hope? I do. Do you know people that aren't really looking forward to a week from Friday? Because it's going to be the first Christmas since fill in the blank. And so maybe, just maybe, God has you here today so you can remind people of the hope realized in the birth of Jesus Christ. The most famous Bible verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, tells us of that promise. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So the first thing I want you to put out there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be, is simply this, God so loved the world, he gave. That's Christmas by the book. God so loved the world, he gave. Sounds very Christmassy, doesn't it? God so loved the world, he gave. First truth to grab a hold of is that Christmas answers that couple thousand year desire for hope. Number two. Remember that Christmas is Emmanuel. It's God with us. It, it is crazy when, when you really start to try to process it, the idea that, that God came in the form of a man and he hung out on the earth for 33 years and he lived among us. It just, that's crazy. That's crazy that's radical. That's an out-of-control concept that, that we miss the awesomeness of because we've been around it our whole life. Oh yeah, Christmas. Emmanuel. Oh yeah, Christmas. God with us. But when you go to countries where Christianity is not the predominant religion, and you see people, many of them for the very first time, Begin to understand what truly is so special about Christianity. What truly is so special about Jesus? Man, the light bulbs go off. the The, the eyes get real big, kind of like the real big bug eyes. Kind of like, really, God with us, Emmanuel. We sing about it in one of the most famous. Tur- turn to two seventy seven. Hark, the herald angels sing. Now we're not going to do verse one this time, but listen to the words of verse two. Christ. By highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Here it is. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate, deity. Pleased as man, with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us. Hark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. The prophet Isaiah, he was a contemporary of Jeremiah. He actually ministered before Jeremiah did. Isaiah prophesied about the hope of God with us. He said in chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew, in his gospel, chapter 1, brings all this full circle It says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the passions of First Christian Church of Clinton is that you will have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about playing church It's not about being religious, it's not about dressing a certain way, it's not about church speak, but one of the things that I think we miss if we've been around the church for a long time is that we speak in church language, and you talk to someone that doesn't know what Christianity is all about and say, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they really start processing it, how can I have a personal relationship with someone that I can't see face to face? How can I have a personal relationship with someone that I can't give a fist bump to? How how do I do that? And yet, that's what God with us is really all about. Understanding that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. You should have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you. Jesus cares for you. That when you pray a prayer, he, He hears your prayer. And that God answers every prayer you pray. Now, let me put a caveat in there. He doesn't always answer them like I want them answered. I mean, it's been 107 years since the Cubs have won the World Series. So not every prayer has been answered, okay? God with us. That's what Christmas is all about. So number two, it's up on the screen there. Second thing I want out there in cyber world, Christmas by the book, our God is with us. It's a reality. Grab a hold of it. We can embrace it. and Most importantly, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three, winning the war on Christmas. Remember, Christmas is grace. It's God's unfair solution to our sin. Now, why would it be unfair? What makes it unfair? Well, see, here's the point. If you read your Bible, if you know your Bible, and you really dig in, and you really study on this topic of sin, you're going to find out a couple things. You're going to find out that sin is, it's awful. It's what separates us from God. And the second thing you're going to discover is that I'm a sinner. And that you're a sinner. Whoever you are, you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. And so if we just were sinners and we don't do anything about the sin, there's not much hope. In the Old Testament, I mean, they're slaughtering animals. The blood's covering the sin. It's a yearly ritual. I mean, how how would you feel today if in the middle of the choir cantata, I had to get out the big old machete and slit a goat's throat and there's blood everywhere? I mean, it kind of, it loses the spirit, right? It wouldn't exactly be what you were thinking you were going to experience at church today. And see, when Jesus came, he became the one-time-for-all-time sacrifice for my sins, for your sins. And so I can put the machete away. I don't have to kill the goat. I don't have to kill the ram. Jesus literally paid it all. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to be sin for me, to be sin for you, so that we can become the righteousness of God. So the third hymn that I want you to look at today is actually my favorite Christmas hymn. It's 273, if you're grabbing the little blue book, the hymnal. And, and I love it, and I love it even though it's politically incorrect. I wish that in the 14th century, they would have said, good Christian people rejoice. Or good Christian men and women rejoice. Or good Christian men, women, children, and anybody else rejoice. But in the 14th century, they didn't do it. But when they say men, they mean all people. Okay? So save the note. Don't send the email. I know it's politically incorrect. But I love verse 3. Because it talks about what Jesus really did to solve my problem and to solve your problem. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. He calls you one, he calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. That's heaven. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. And in the Christmas narrative, Matthew chapter 1, we read about that. Angel talking to Matthew said, she, Mary, will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. In Luke chapter 2, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. Not, not a good person has been born to you. Not, not a moral teacher has been born to you. Not even a religious leader has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So at least the third thing that I want out there in cyber world, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be, Christ was born. To save. I, I love how we decorate for Christmas at First Christian Church. I, I love that tree. It takes like three days for Mary Holland and Joyce Matthias to get that tree. They're not even here, but will you clap for them anyway? I'll tell them later that you clap for them. It's awesome what they do. Love it. But what I love the most isn't even in the sanctuary, even though the sanctuary is beautiful. I love when I walk out into our foyer and I see the trees and I see the lights and I see the, the manger. And then I see the cross. And I'm reminded that sweet little baby Jesus, eight pound, six ounce, beautiful little baby Jesus boy, (laughs) came to die. His destiny from the very beginning was the cross. And that's not fair. He never sinned, but I did. And you did. Praise God. That Christ was born to save. And so my bottom line for you this morning is this. We win the war on Christmas. We want to win, right? We win the war on Christmas when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. That Jesus was the centuries-long answer to the plea of God's people. That Jesus is God with us. And that Jesus Christ was born to save. Praise God. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to sing songs and to read scripture and to focus on what Christmas really is all about. But help us while we're in this midst to to have our eyes wide open as we're focusing on Jesus. Be aware of people around us that are hurting, people around us that that don't have the hope that we have. Help us not just to shrug our shoulders and move on, but to be your ambassadors, to be a beacon of light, to be a messenger of hope. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.